Well, good morning, Vintage Church. How's everybody doing this morning? Woo, praise the Lord. Yeah, come on, you can give a shout of praise this morning. Wasn't that a great word she said? Man, God is good. Well, hey, I have the incredible honor from Pastor Rob of bringing the word this morning. If we have not had the chance of meeting, uh, my name is Josh. I oversee our connection ministry here in our youth ministry. Anybody like movement youth in the house? Come on, I need to hear you holler, boys. Let's go. Yeah, man, we have a blast tonight. We're going to have a ton of fun playing kickball. Full disclosure, I'm not good at sports, but I've been talking to some people who've been experienced in sports, and I learned that you're actually supposed to rotate your hip when you kick the ball, which I think is going to change my whole life now that I know how to play sports and kick things correctly. Anyway, all that to say, hey, if you're joining us online for the very first time, or maybe you've been checked us out a few times, thank you for joining us. Man, we would love to see you at one of our our in-person services. Let's, let's welcome everybody who's joining us online real quick, maybe for the first time. Man, we are so happy you are here. Well, hey, this Sunday is also specifically special for me because I get to preach to you, my favorite church, okay? I'm just going to be honest with you. Uh, but my parents are here. And listen, like, my parents have heard me preach quite a few times, but it's been a little bit. And so while I get to preach to you, and it's a real honor to do that, it's even more special for me to do that for them as well. But hey, if you would turn in your Bibles to Philippians chapter 1. Uh, we're going to be focusing primarily on verse 18. We're going to look a little bit at the context of the text and so on. But if you don't have a Bible, go ahead and raise your hand. Somebody from our Connect team uh, will get one into your hands. And if you don't own it, please take that home with you. That is our gift to you. We want everybody to have God's word. But while we're doing that, go ahead and leave your hand up. We're going to go to the Lord in prayer. Lord, thank you for the opportunity to be here together on this a little bit of a chilly morning with a little bit of rain, but Lord, we know that this is your day and you will be honored and you will be praised. So thank you for the opportunity to be here to celebrate what you've done for us and to focus and study your word. Lord, we love you. It's in your name. Amen. Well, hey, uh, Pastor Rob kicked off our series last week in Philippians, so brand new series. If you're joining us maybe for the first week or second week, man, y'all came at just the right time. We just finished up a really long series in Acts. I think it was like a year and a half. Man, it was a long time, but it was a really great and special time uh, together. But we focused on that God unites through the gospel. God unites through the gospel. The gospel creates the beginning. The gospel sustains the present, the now and the gospel guarantees the future. Now, moving forward in the text, we see Paul explain a little bit more on his context. And as we know, he's under house arrest and his pastor Rob was so vulnerable last week and I'll echo his, uh, his same remarks. If I was under house arrest, I am not entirely sure I would have as much joy as Paul does. Okay, look, the food's bad, probably. The guy next to me is probably smelly. Uh, I was talking to Rob earlier this week, and he was saying that some scholars believe he was actually chained to a guard under house arrest. Look, I don't want to be chained to anybody, okay? That's really uncomfortable, man. But, uh, but boom, Paul says this instead. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel, what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul could be upset. Paul could be angry. Paul could be depressed. Some would say he has every right to be, but he doesn't harp on the suffering. He spends time, he doesn't spend time talking about the nasty food or, or the guards he's got or anything like that. Instead, he, he's wanting them to know that his imprisonment is making a difference. It's making a difference for the gospel. 
that this is in fact all part of God's plan to move the gospel forward, to advance the gospel. He advances. That's the title of our message this morning. He advances. See, he, he is in prison, Paul, not because he is a violent person, not because he is a thief, not because he is a criminal or any of the sort. He has committed no crimes. He is there for Christ. And God uses that. And I'm sure you've heard the saying, there's no such thing as bad press. Anybody heard that saying before? Okay, so a couple of you guys have. Well, meaning that all press, good or bad, is in fact good because it puts the name of the company, the product, the thing, the mission, whatever that looks like, the person in the view of the public. In a New York Times article entitled Good News, Bad News, journalist Rob Walker talks through this very idea. He writes this, uh, Alan Sorensen and Scott uh, Ramusin, both of Stanford University, uh, try to determine which argument wins in the real world. Can negative publicity actually have a positive effect? Uh, they ask in the article published in October in the Journal of Marketing Science, and if so, when? A crucial factor, they conclude, is how familiar a brand or a product or other entity was before the negative publicity. So crunching the data and cross-match book sales against critics' appraisals in the New York Times book review, uh, they found that negative reviews of a new book by an established or well-known author hurt sales. But for books by relatively new or unknown authors, however, negative publicity had the opposite effect. And hear this, this is nuts. Increasing sales by 45% over their uh, expected sales trajectory. So here's the deal. You want to get rich, you want to get famous, write a really bad book, okay? And just have some people write some really bad reviews about it, and it'll get out there. People will buy it, okay? But they write, evidently, this boils down to increased awareness. The mere fact of introducing something to the broader public, even saying that, and I'm quoting, it stinks, okay? That's what they say. Increases the chances that more members of the public will want it anyway. Isn't that interesting how that works? But we've seen this idea of bad press actually working in a positive way here in the text. And we actually see it all the time in our real world. We see it in politics. We see it uh, in media. We even see it in restaurants, okay? I stumbled across this account that their thing is to go to major cities, find the worst rated restaurant in town, and video themselves trying it. Okay, I'm gonna be honest with you. I don't want food poisoning. That doesn't sound fun to me. But they got millions of views, okay? But when something or someone receives bad press, it causes us to think about it causes us to dig into it. We want to understand why. But the same principle is, is actually seen here really in the context of the text. This new movement of, of Christianity, this new figure of Jesus, and, and we see Paul, this former persecutor of the Christians, right, proclaiming this message. He's locked up. That's kind of bad press. But still, no matter what, he advances. But it doesn't matter what publicity it receives, it, it brings awareness, it brings curiosity. People want to know more about this message. But above all, it advances the gospel. The guards are dumbfounded that Paul is in prison for Jesus. They don't quite understand the prisoners who, who would have been with him at one point or another are confused why he'd risk everything. The public is watching earnestly. What is Paul going to do? Why is he putting himself in this position? No matter what, the devil will try to stop the proclamation of Jesus. But God uses this to ignite a spirit of boldness, as we'll see in the text, 
for the gospel. Not only in Paul, but as we will soon see also in the church, no matter what, God will advance the gospel. And that leads us to our big idea this morning that Jesus is, Jesus, uh, or Jesus has, Jesus is, and Jesus will continue to advance the gospel. And I don't know about you, but that makes me want to shout for joy. Can we give the Lord a shout of praise for a second? God will advance the gospel despite all circumstances. Philippians 1.18 says, What then, only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed, and in that I rejoice, yes, I will rejoice. Joyce. Jesus has, Jesus is, and Jesus will continue to advance his gospel. Because listen, if it was up to me alone to advance the gospel, I'm going to be brutally honest with you. This thing would peter out pretty quickly. If it was up to Paul alone, believe it or not, the gospel would not have advanced. But it isn't. It's in the hands of our mighty, sovereign Lord. It is through King Jesus that the gospel advances. We just have the privilege and the charge of being the mouthpiece for this mission. And that brings me joy, as I hope it does to you as well, because it's not through us alone. It is by and through him, King Jesus. I remember when I was eight years old, um, and I, I'm a Columbus, Ohio kid, okay, so last night, go OSU, didn't think they'd pull it out, but it was great, okay, anybody else like the Buckeyes here? Okay, if you're a Michigan fan, you can see yourself out, no, I'm just kidding, um, I'm going to be honest with you, I don't know sports well, my dad's a big Buckeyes guy, my room was always a Buckeye room, but... I, I try. I root for the homeboys, okay? I'm just going to be honest here. But I, I grew up in Columbus, Ohio. I grew up in a, uh, a Baptist church, and they had this thing called Awana. Anybody ever heard of Awana before? Okay, so quite a few of you. If you haven't heard of Awana, pretty much this is what it is. It's a, it's a ministry that meets during the week, and it's based for, uh, for kids, and it's to help them memorize scripture, play games, have fun. You get these little, like, uniforms and vests and stuff like that. And I remember when I was eight years old, it was like every Monday night. It was always a blast. We'd always do a, fun, a, a, bunch, of, a bunch of fun things. And um, I remembered specifically that there was this missionary to Japan. She came and spoke about the importance of sharing the gospel. They had been there for a long time. And I remember hearing that message and I was like, oh, man, I need to do that. And the main thrust of her message is, and we always hear this, is like, who's the one person in your life that needs to hear about Jesus? And in my eight-year-old brain, I was like, all right, all right, I got to figure this out. So I'm laying in bed that night and I'm like, who do I need to share the gospel with? And I, I think about it and I'm like, oh, there's this neighborhood boy that I, I hang out with all the time at the playground in our neighborhood. And we like to just get together and throw rocks at stuff because what else does eight-year-olds do but throw rocks at stuff without supervision. Okay, we didn't hit anybody, okay? It was always fun. You know, we'd set things up, throw rocks at stuff. We're eight, okay? It's great. Um, anyway, um, so I think about it. I'm like, this is the kid. This is the one. This is the one I need to share the gospel with. So I, I get up from my bed and I go downstairs to our basement. We have this bookshelf there and there's a bunch of encyclopedias, but I remember my dad had put like this New Testament Bible there. Pretty sure it was actually a special New Testament, but I was like, the gospel's more important, so I'm gonna give it to this kid. Anyway, so I grab that New Testament uh, and I bring it home. You might not know about this. Uh, and, and I take it and I'm like, all right, I'm gonna give this to him tomorrow. And I was a homeschooled kid, so I didn't go to school. That might explain a lot for those of you who know me. Um, and so I keep this Bible and I pray about about it and I'm like, okay, 
all right, I'm going to wait, I'm going to wait, and I'm going to share this, I'm going to share the good news of the gospel with them, I'm going to give them this Bible. So I look out the window the next morning, I finish my school, and, and I wait, and I wait, and I wait, and I see a school bus pass, and I'm like, that means in 15 minutes, he's going to grab a snack and be down by the playground, and I get to eat some of his Cheez-Its, it's going to be great. Uh, so I rush down to the playground, and uh, we're hanging out, and we're throwing rocks at stuff, and eating Cheez-Its, and all those fun things, and, and I, I go, hey, I want to, I want to, I'm shaking really bad. I want to talk to you about something because I'm really nervous. And so I give him probably the worst gospel presentation you've ever heard in your life. But I was eight, okay? Give me, cut me some slack. And I've kind of finished it up that Jesus died for you and he wants to be with you forever. All you have to do is believe in him. And I, and I hand him this Bible and, uh, and I'm like, here, read this. It explains it better. And he kind of looks at me. He's nine, eight or nine. He's like, he doesn't read books, okay? Like we throw rocks at stuff for fun, okay? So uh, he takes the book and he kind of just says, thank you. And we go back to throwing rocks. And I, I leave there and I'm like, I did it. I won him to Jesus. I gave him the gospel. I gave him a Bible. What more does God need, okay? I did it, right? Well, I run into his sister a few days later. This is where y'all can start starting to feel empathy for eight-year-old Josh. And, and I'm like, hey, hey, is, is your brother reading that Bible I gave him? Because like, his life changed, is he completely new? And she's like, you gave him a Bible? And I was like, yeah, that, that little book, it, it was brown. It had like kind of a gator skin on it. It was like this big. And she was like, oh, that thing, he's using that as a Nerf gun target, okay? And I can tell you what, when she said that, it was like a dagger to my chest, okay? I'm like, I, I, I thought the Holy Spirit told me to do this. Like he's supposed to be saved. His life's supposed to be different. He's supposed to be the new Paul right now. Like, like what is happening? And I, I tell you all that to say like, you know, not to feel bad for eight-year-old Josh as you, as you really, really should, okay? I tried really hard, okay? But to understand that the gospel, there, there's this thing against the gospel. It goes against our flesh. It goes against our desires. Well, the gospel is good news. It is life-changing. It brings life. It makes you a new person. There will always be this friction because it goes against our flesh. It goes against our earthly desires. In fact, we see right here that Paul is in prison because of the proclamation of Jesus. They did not like his message. There would be pushback. But just because there's pushback does not mean that it will stop the gospel. Because like we just said, it's not through us that the gospel advances. It is, in fact, King Jesus and King Jesus alone. So how does the gospel advance? Let's look back at verse 12 again. I want you to know, brothers, that what has happened to me has really served to advance the gospel. Paul wants it to be clear here that what has happened to him is not a hindrance to this movement of Christianity. It is not something that will stop it. It is not something that will discourage it, but instead it is something that will, in fact, advance it. Because it's not about the circumstances, it is about the message. God advances the gospel in all circumstances. He advances the gospel in all circumstances. Did you know that in the places the gospel tends to face the most persecution is where it advances the most? I find that interesting. There's an incredible documentary called uh, Sheep Among Wolves. If you haven't seen it, it's free to watch uh, on YouTube. But it tells the story of the thriving and exploding church in the Middle East under Muslim rule. Um, and we're seeing these, these people turning to Jesus. People are facing, at the very least, uh, prison, uh, but most likely death for their faith. Yet despite all those things, the gospel is thriving. 
Underground churches are being planted. People are turning to Jesus. At the same time, they're being uh, cast out of their homes. They're being disowned by their families. They're being fired for their faith. They're being murdered for King Jesus. Yet despite all those circumstances, the church is thriving. And isn't that crazy to think that we must understand that despite the circumstances we face, that despite what happens, in fact, here in Pittsburgh, despite what happens in Moon, despite what happens in the U.S., that the gospel will advance. And listen, I know it can be discouraging. I've spent countless hours pushing the name of Jesus on my friends and, uh, and, and so on, and I want them to come to know King Jesus, and sometimes I, I just I see no return. I have a, I have a dear friend that I've, he's probably my first friend I've ever had in my life that uh, at one time would have said he followed Jesus, but now he doesn't. And I can tell you each phone call we get, while I can share King Jesus, sometimes I walk away a little bit more discouraged, right? And that's hard when we think about that, but, but, but I hope that this comforts you, is that Jesus, despite us, and we'll talk about that in a second, is working. The gospel, we can share it as much as we want, but it's actually God who advances the gospel because King Jesus wins in the end. If you don't know that, the end's been written. We can fight all these battles here on this earth, and we will against flesh and blood and demons and all those things, but the war's been won. The end's been written. King Jesus wins, and in that, we can rejoice and find comfort. So church, let's, let's be bold together, right? Just as, right? just as Paul is bold enough here that even in lockdown, he is able to have influence of the gospel. That's crazy. He's in prison, and, he's, yet to, and he's, he's able to influence people. He's able to write these letters. People around him are leaning into the word because it is in the hands of God. Paul continues in verse 13. So it has become known throughout the whole imperial guard and all the rest, of my, and all the rest that my imprisonment is for Christ. See, the reason for his imprisonment is no secret, the word is out. People know what he's there for. The whole imperial guard knows. And just imagine one, being one of those guards, right? You, you bring him some food, and he's like, hey, let me tell you about Jesus. You bring him some water, and he's like, hey, just want you to know, Jesus loves you. You're, he's getting all these letters from all these churches, and they're like, man, who are all these people talking about with love from the church, with love from Jesus? And they're sitting there, and they're like, who is this Jesus guy, right? And Paul's like, I'm telling you. King of kings, Lord of lords, you got to know him, right? And just imagine being those guards. Jesus is king. That's, a lot. That's Paul's life. That's what he's proclaiming. That's what he wants everybody to know. He's in prison because of the gospel. And, and just as the text says, they're all going to hear about it. But not only the imperial guard, we see all the rest. If all you're being told about at work is about one thing over and over and over again, right? You're going to go home to your, your wife and your kids, and you're going to start complaining, dude, this dude will not shut up, okay? Like, maybe you're, you have a desk mate that he talks about, like, he just, all he talks about is, like, your, like, the sports team you hate the most, okay? Right? Like, that would drive me nuts, okay? I'm going to be honest. I'm just going to be vulnerable here. Everybody on staff loves sports, Okay? I don't know anything about these people, okay? This fantasy draft thing, it stresses me out. I just go with whatever the, the percentage is of most likely to win. But these people, they're, they're, telling, they're telling this message without realizing they're sharing the gospel. Because over and over again, Paul is just pushing this message on these people and then they're sharing it because maybe they're annoyed with it. But all in all, God is advancing the gospel through the work of Paul. 
The local people in Rome are hearing about it. Paul is writing letters, so the church global is hearing about it. These chains can't stop Paul from doing what God has called him to do. Because you see, God advances the gospel to all places. He advances the gospel to all places. The word cannot be contained in Paul. He must share it. He must proclaim it. All must know about it. And guess what God does with it? He gets it out, right? It travels. The gospel moves forward from place to place. And if you think about Paul for that moment, this new movement of Christianity has started, and he gets locked up where? In Rome, okay? One of the most influential cities there at the time. The city with arguably the biggest influence, and that is by no mistake. And just as we saw in the previous verses, this was and is all part of God's plan to advance the gospel, not only there, but all over the world. The reason we have the gospel here in Pittsburgh and in the United States is because of what took place in the book of Acts and subsequently here in this text. You have no idea how far your proclamation of King Jesus will go. The gospel advances despite its circumstances and its location. In fact, in that documentary I mentioned, Sheep Among Wolves, they they tell this story of this man in in a remote village who had never heard the name of Jesus before. He had never heard the gospel, and and he, he keeps having these dreams and these visions of this story being told to him, and so he writes it all down, and by the time the gospel reaches his village, he goes, I've heard this. I, I believe in this message. I, I, I've, I've, I've seen it in my head over and over again. And so he, he pulls out the, the, the dreams and the visions he had been writing out, and he basically has this rough copy of the book of John, right? So the gospel, despite all else, there are no barriers to how far Jesus will take it. God has full authority in all places, through all people, and all circumstances. The people who found this, they were shocked. They were like, wow, how, how can they have this version? How can they have this story of Jesus? The gospel hasn't been here in centuries, but King Jesus will advance the gospel to all places. Verse 14 and 17 continue, and most of the brothers, having become confident in the Lord by my imprisonment, are much more bold to speak truth without fear. Some indeed preach Christ from envy and rivalry, but others from goodwill. The latter do it out of love, knowing that I am put here for the defense of the gospel. The former proclaim Christ out of selfish ambition, not sincerely, but thinking to afflict me in my imprisonment. Oof. There's a lot of good in that text, but there's also some bad in that text for Paul. So we start on a high note here in verse 14. Most people are becoming more and more confident through his imprisonment to continue to share and advance the gospel. They are bold. They have no fear. They are ready to face whatever comes their way because of this calling on their life. But some of them, they have some selfish motivations. They preach out of envy. They, they preach out of rivalry, right? They are selfishly hoping to hurt Paul because they want their name to actually be bigger than the gospel themselves. It's actually not about Jesus for them. It's about themselves. They are in this to see King Jesus proclaimed. They are in this to see themselves raised higher and higher and higher. But it's not all bad, right? If we ended there, it'd be like, oof, Paul, man, you talk about rejoicing, but that's pretty rough. But it's not all bad. There are those who are doing this out of good will. 
Those who want to see Jesus' name praised higher than their gnome, they do it out of love. They, they are uh, motivated by their gospel proclamation through the love of Jesus. So what do we do with that? Is the gospel going to suffer because of the motives of these people? Some of us would instantly jump to, yeah, probably. No, it's actually not what Paul, in fact, says. Surely God won't use those selfish people we would think in our, our heads. What, as it turns out, that's not actually the case. Verse 18 says, what then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that I rejoice, yes, I will rejoice. In Paul's eyes, it, it doesn't matter. It doesn't matter who says it. It doesn't matter what that selfish motive maybe behind it was. Even in pretense or falsehood, all he cares about is that Christ is proclaimed. We could get in a long rabbit trail here about false teaching and all those things. I'm gonna save that for Pastor Rob to get into maybe at some point. Um, but uh, just know that that is, that is a subject that, would, that we could talk about here. But the main thrust that he wants to get across is that God advances the gospel through all people. God advances the gospel through all people. Our selfish motivations cannot stop the proclamation of Jesus, right? Because King Jesus and the gospel is more powerful than anything else. Paul doesn't care about the motive. He doesn't care if they're trying to hurt him personally. As long as the name of King Jesus is proclaimed, that is all that matters. Because here's the deal. Despite the people, despite the motive, Jesus is being preached, and this is why I can look at eight-year-old Josh and say, look, man, you tried your best. Probably should have learned a little bit of some better theology. Probably could have explained the gospel a little bit better, but you tried. The, the truth is that we can always improve about what we know. And I'm sure some of you can relate to that. We're all consistently learning, but don't let a lack of what you believe of proficiency stop you from proclaiming the name of Jesus, because that is our life calling. Even despite others, no matter the motive, no matter the way, the gospel of Jesus has been and is being and will be proclaimed. And in that, we rejoice. So back to verse 18. What then? Only that in every way, whether in pretense or in truth, Christ is proclaimed. And in that, I rejoice. Yes, I will rejoice. The central idea here is that we can rejoice that the gospel of Jesus has and is and will be proclaimed. The gospel message is the greatest news of all. It's, it's a message about need. It's a message about uh, freedom. It's a message about joy. But you see, the, the message of the gospel itself is enough. God advances the gospel by his gospel. This term gospel, I think, often gets thrown around with, with sometimes not much care of a description. We talk about gospel conversations. We, we want to keep Jesus at the focus of our conversation. We talk about um, uh, gospel central uh, worship. We want to keep Jesus at the focus of our worship. We talk about gospel central relationships. We want to keep Jesus at the center of our relationships. And all those things is good. But listen, I grew up in, in youth ministry. Um, I, I'm, I've been in youth ministry for a few years now. I, I, see, I see gospel pizza party thrown out a few times. Okay, and look, we you know let's talk about Jesus over over some pizza. I, I think that's possible, but but we throw that term around a lot. So so what is the gospel? And Pastor Robbie he broke this down a few weeks ago really really well. But the gospel is simply the good news of salvation from sin through Jesus Christ, right? And there's so much to unpack there. But to summarize, we're we're all born sinners. 
We're all born in need of saving because at the beginning of creation, mankind sinned for the very first time. And because of that, subsequently, every human being after that is infected with this disease and this sickness called sin. But God in Genesis 3 promised something really important. He said that while the devil may bruise the heel of the offspring of the woman, the offspring of the woman would bruise his head. And the rest of the Old Testament tells this story of struggle and prophecy of a coming Savior who would defeat the serpent once and for all. And then we arrive at the New Testament and we meet the Savior. We meet King Jesus. John 3.16 says, For God so loved the world that he gave his only begotten Son, that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. That's not a wanna knowledge that you might be wondering about. Okay, that's it right there. Right? But Jesus, fully God, fully man, came to save the world. How, how could he do that? He would do that through his sacrifice. Jesus would live a perfect, holy life, being fully God and fully man. Jesus would die for the sins of the world because the consequential payment for sin would be death. And that is what he did for us on the cross. The eternal separation from God is the consequence of our sin. So Jesus, being perfect, sacrifices his own life to offer us the free gift of salvation. The devil bruises his head through death, but guess what? He doesn't stay dead. He rises from the grave three days later, bruising the head of the serpent. And we know from the end of scripture that he will crush the devil once and for all reigning victoriously. See, God uses what the devil thought for a moment was going to be victory. He thought he killed Jesus, the Savior. No, he, he uses that to bring the gift of salvation to the world. All it takes to be saved is that belief that whoever believes in him shall not perish but have everlasting life. Jesus is Lord. Believe in your heart that he was raised from the dead and you will be saved saved. Romans 10, 9 wants us to understand that if you confess with your mouth, that if you believe in your heart that God raised you from the dead, he will be saved. There's not this special prayer. There's not this money you give. No, the gospel, that is all it takes for salvation. See, this message of the gospel, it's counterculture. It goes against everything our flesh desires. It goes every, against everything we know of this world. Who would sacrifice their son? so that people who have wronged him could be saved. I'm gonna be brutally honest with you. I have, I have a, uh, a two-year-old boy named Oliver, and uh, um, I wouldn't, thank you, I wouldn't even put him in a mildly inconvenient situation for you. Just being fully transparent, okay? Like, I love that boy to death. None, nonetheless, would I, would I ever let him die for you? No. No, I, I wouldn't do that. And maybe I'm being selfish, and you can say that, but, but that's why this message is so powerful, that God loves you so much that he's willing to give everything that he holds dear for you, that he's willing to give his one and only son to die on the cross for your sins. This is a message of sacrifice, of love, of eternal freedom found in one thing alone, and that is Jesus Christ. 
There's this amazing book that if you'd love to learn more about the gospel, it's called What is the Gospel? We have it in our resource center. It's on the top shelf. Highly recommend. It's a pretty easy read, but it walks through the gospel in such great and easy to understand detail. Trust me, it'll flesh you out. You'll be a whole theologian afterwards. But it's a great book nonetheless, and we would love to equip you with that in our resource center. But remember how I said there's no such thing as bad press. This message of the gospel advances because the gospel is so mind-blowing. It's so different. It's so counterculture. It changes people. It changes cities. It has changed and will continue to change this world that you and I live in. So when we ground ourselves in this understanding of the gospel, of God's sovereign hand in its advancement through all people and circumstances, we can find joy. Because despite all else, God will advance. We find joy in that moment. We find peace in that understanding. And that joy, in fact, pushes us to proclaim and advance the gospel ourselves. Because we know it's not by our power, but it's his and his alone. Amen? Jesus has, Jesus is, and Jesus will advance his gospel. So Jesus has already done that. Have you ever stopped to think about the gospel today? Some of us may be thinking, Jesus can't reach uh, my neighbors. He can't uh, use me. It's too hard. I'm not good enough. I don't have a proper understanding. Y'all, Jesus used Paul to reach people while he's in prison, okay? He can use you to reach your neighbors. We have the gospel here today because Jesus advanced the gospel despite all else. In fact, despite you and I. Jesus is now. Jesus is actively working right here and right now in this city through his people and through all people and circumstances to advance the gospel. It never stops. He has called each and every single one of us through the Great Commission to reach the lost by proclaiming his name, to step out, to be bold and be ready. God has and will bring people in your life for a purpose, and that is to share his name. You may be thinking, Josh, I don't know how to do it. I I don't know if I'll say the right thing. And trust me, I I get it. It's hard. Eight-year-old Josh saw the consequences. No, I'm just kidding. He he saw how hard it could be to, to see the gospel flourish. But Pastor Rob asked me a question earlier this week, and he said, what is the most important part of the Great Commission? I should have known this was a trick question, okay? Be honest. But my seminary brain, thinking I know everything, okay, right? I'm I'm a seminary student out of school, so, um, of course, I'm also in my 20s, so I think I know everything, right? You know, I like every other 20-year-old, right? And I'm like, okay, I know the answer to this question. Well, obviously, Rob, it's to, it's to, uh, to go proclaim the gospel to all the nations and make disciples. And he goes, no. That's actually not it. And I was like, oh, come on. That's like double jeopardy. Like, I, I got the right answer. No, no, no. And, and I shouldn't have known. But, he, but he, had a, he had a statement here that he, he really made me think about. And he said, the most important part is actually what Jesus says at the end. And it's that I will be with you always till the end of the age. I will be with you always to the end of the age. So Jesus gives this commission known as the Great Commission to go out and reach reach the, the world, reach the nations, making disciples to baptizing them. And he puts an end note on there that is, that's really the thrust of all of it. That I, Jesus, will be with you till the end of the age. Because we don't advance the gospel. No, we alone can't do that. But God does through Jesus. 
So does he work through us? Yes, yes, of course he does. He uses us to advance the gospel, but it's King Jesus who brings people to him, who saves people. God isn't concerned about your ability. He wants your availability. You've heard that said before from this platform. I know you have, but it's a truth that we continue need to, continually need to be reminded over. He's not concerned about your ability. He wants your availability. He wants you to be looking at every moment around you, every interaction, every coworker, every new relationship, uh, even family members. How can you share the name of Jesus? Because he will advance his gospel. And we have the privilege of being used to do that. But lastly, Jesus will. As the band comes up, we are not the end here, right? Jesus will continue to advance his gospel. Today is not the last day on earth. Despite politics, despite the economy, even despite persecution, and there is only, uh, and I want us to understand here, like there's a generation rising, and I know like we'll hear in the media that everybody's turning away from the Lord and uh, Christianity's on decline, but I have the privilege of working with, with, with the youth of today in our city, and I see a hunger, and I see a boldness. In fact, I, I know people within our youth ministry right now that all they do is invite their friends and tell them about Jesus, isn't that awesome? Can't we rejoice over that church? That there is a movement, that there's a boldness rising in our young people that they want to share and proclaim his name. I see a hunger and I see a joy found in Jesus. Not just the church of tomorrow, but in the church of today. I don't want you to buy into this idea that, that Jesus is losing this war. He's not. And while there's battles that may seem hard and we fight tooth and nail to win them, Jesus has already won the war here and now because Jesus has, Jesus is, and Jesus will advance his gospel. And in that, we rejoice. Church, can we all stand and can we all rejoice in the fact that King Jesus will win this war? We can look at today, we can look at everything around us and we can think of what, what, what's gonna happen what's gonna to happen tomorrow, but I can tell you right now that Jesus will win. Despite the circumstances you see in front of you, despite the, the times that you've shared the gospel and you seem to not have heard an answer, Jesus is working through you here and now. So in that, we rejoice, amen, church? Let's go to the Lord in prayer and let's continue in worship. Lord, we thank you for this opportunity to be here together. Lord, we pray for boldness. We thank you, Lord, for what you have done here and now through us. But Lord, it's not even really through us, it's through you. Thank you for giving us the privilege of being used for your kingdom. Lord, give us, give us the, the, the understanding, give us the foresight of those people you are bringing into our lives to proclaim your name, Lord. We can rejoice that even though when it seems like we're not winning those battles, you have won the war and in all things you will reign victoriously. Lord, we love you. It's in your name. Amen.